I know that when I saw the the siege on the Capitol on January 6th, I was just like, I couldn't help but think like if, if the trajectory of my life hadn't changed, that might be me. Hello, you're listening to Change My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. This is my show where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big, important things. I'm Luke T. Harrington, award-winning novelist, best-selling humorist, and noted St. Patrick stan. Um, This episode has nothing to do with St. Patrick, but I did notice it's going live on St. Patrick's Day, so... I don't know, dump a bunch of green dye in the river nearest you and drink a lot of cheap beer, I guess. I don't know. Um, If it's not obvious, I kind of think St. Patrick's Day is one of the dumber holidays, at least in terms of how it's celebrated on a secular level. Um, I do like St. Patrick the man, you know, if you... uh, noticed my last name at all, you'll know that I am Irish and also a Christian. So big thanks to St. Patrick uh, for Christianizing Ireland. Uh, I appreciate it. My guest this week, I assume, has no appreciation at all for St. Patrick, being that she is neither Irish nor Christian. Um, An old friend of mine, uh, Rissa Marshall, uh, who, when I knew her, 20-some years ago, uh, was a very enthusiastic Pentecostal Christian, um, and between now and then, then and now, lost her faith and is now an atheist, uh, which is pretty hardcore. I tip my fedora to her. No, I'm just kidding. I like Rissa a lot. Um, and I was glad to uh, have the opportunity to catch up with her a little bit, um, so... I will go ahead and let her introduce herself, and I will see you on the other side. Rissa, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Rissa is... Why don't you tell people what you do, who you are, what you're about? Sure. Uh, My name's Rissa. I'm currently working at for a Utah-based company, uh, just doing computery IT stuff with servers and databases and all that exciting stuff. I'm currently residing in Portland, Oregon, but before that, I lived in Salt Lake City, Utah for two years. Um, and before that, I just kind of lived all over the place, um, mostly in the Midwest with a couple of short stints in Colorado and Arizona. Then married for 15 years to a really amazing guy named Chad. Um, we're really happy. No kids, no pets, just us, and it's great. <laughs> 15 years. My 15th anniversary is in December of this year. So congratulations. Yeah. You're only beating us by what half a year or so, I guess. Yeah. Ours (laughs) is last November. So (laughs) okay. Almost a whole year then. Fine. (laughs) Fine. Um, Yeah. um, For listeners who don't know, because this is important, uh, Rissa is basically the beginning and end of my career as an award-winning actor of the screen so (laughs) uh and same you starred in my one and only film so (laughs) there's that (laughs) yeah um this was gosh uh this i think this was actually my freshman year of college um 
Oh, really? Okay. But yeah, you were what a senior, junior, junior. in high school at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Chris and I go way back. Um, your school, your school had a, a film festival. Student, right. student of student, student produced shorts, and you made one cleverly titled "The Serial Killer." Super original. Yale. I mean, it was. <laughs> it's it seemed very cutting edge in those days at the time. <laughs> shortly, shortly after the what we thought was the conclusion of uh, uh, the Scream series. <laughs> yeah right but n- now they're i think they're currently working on screen five so apparently not. Are they anyway, interesting <laughs> I, I think so i uh i played played a serial killer uh who thought he was the tricks rabbit um right. it went on to win many awards um i believe including the palm door um <laughs> no but they they did give they did give awards at this high school film festival and Mm -hmm. i don't remember if we won any others but i do remember winning best best supporting (sighs) actor i think even though i was the title character but they gave me (laughs) (laughs) maybe that yeah that's right maybe you didn't win best actor maybe it's the supporting actor you should have won best actor maybe that's why i remember it that way i know it won four (laughs) awards i don't remember what they all were but it was my proudest moment for years until i was like you know what rissa probably stop uh living in the past and uh (laughs) hanging up your film festival awards from five years ago (laughs) i know um yeah gosh it was it was it was weird because i obviously wasn't a student at your high school so they didn't even know my name when they gave out the award they were like this goes out to uh the bunny (laughs) right (laughs) yeah Yeah. a lot of people involved with that project actually didn't go to my school so (laughs) it's kind of funny when you think about it my brother was a narrator he was uh had 19 at the time I think and uh most of my friends didn't go to my school actually now that I think about it so it's kind of interesting but well maybe not most of them but but anyway, good times. They were great. Imagine if YouTube had been around back then. I know, right? Could have gone so, viral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was back when the internet was like something you had to sit down at a computer to get on and usually wait for your phone to dial in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh, that great. Um, I really wanted to make the dial up noise, the ringtone on my phone for a while. But that like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> But yeah, I didn't want everyone to like scatter every time I entered the room. So decided that was probably a bad idea. <laughs> I just think it's funny. It's very nostalgic for me, that horrible sound. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, so we are going to talk about your loss of faith is the, the plan here. Are you ready? <laughs> I, I'm as ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> um, this is... Yeah, I mean, this is something that um, back when I knew you, you were, I don't want to say crazy Pentecostal, but very Pentecostal. <laughs> Did you ever go to my church at the time? Uh, no. I, okay. Like, this is, this is the thing is, like, I have very, very little direct experience with Pentecostalism or charismatic oh. Christianity. Like, this, this is just something I, I mean, I'm aware of it. I've read some. I don't feel like I understand it as well as I'd like to, let me put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I feel, I, I feel, I feel much more confident speaking about like literally almost any other flavor of Christianity. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
That's so funny because I'm almost almost the opposite. I know almost nothing about other sects of Christianity other than Pentecostalism (laughs) and Charismania. (laughs) So, hey, together, we pretty much run the gamut. There you go. There you go. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that that was what I knew about you back then. And then, I don't know, I didn't talk to you for like 10 years. Found you online in the early days of social media. And I was... I feel like I was a real jerk to you back then, which I should probably apologize for, but, um, oh, it, I, don't remember. I mean, it was most, mostly me being bored and art, liking to argue with people on the internet. Um, oh, I was just as bad. I was terrible. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, when I, when I, when I, uh, found you, you were, um, an atheist, um, and I believe still are, mm-hmm. although, yeah, um, so I don't know. I'm I'm interested to uh, hear the story. I, I did. Um, you you wrote some blog posts on it back in the day, which I read, and it's a it's a good story. So uh, yeah, why don't we? Um, I don't know. Start at the beginning. Tell sure. me about tell me about your days. As was it was it Assembly of God? Was that yeah? You were actually. raised in mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. All right. So let's talk were... about your. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say there's a few other denominations uh, scattered in there, but yeah, mostly assemblies of God. That's what my dad was licensed through uh, as a pastor. So that's right. Yeah. That was most of it. Yeah. So um, I guess when I talk about my past, I always like to start out by explaining my parents and their past, because uh, I think a lot of this stems from my parents just in general, being very colorful, free spirited type people. Um, They were both raised in Salt Lake city, Utah, uh, primarily LDS. They never really took to it a lot, though. So they kind of more or less informally left the church when they were teenagers. Um, They both got really into partying, doing drugs, uh, hitchhiking, uh, getting into trouble, essentially skipping school, (laughs) doing the hippie thing. It was the 70s. Um, And they uh, my dad became an atheist and my mom, I think, just kind of became an I don't care is. So, uh, they met two weeks before high school graduation during a fire drill at their high school and, um, were just inseparable ever since they basically moved in together right away and didn't bother going to graduation. So neither of them graduated from high school (laughs) about two years later, they were looking to kind of get out of the lifestyle that they were in because things weren't going great. So they decided to move on my, my great aunt's property because she had a, a root cellar there which was essentially a hole in the ground that had dirt walls, dirt ceilings. It just had a little wood stove to do heat water, cook, heat the place, whatever you needed to do. Um, So they decided to move in there to kind of get their heads on straight and get away from their old friends and whatnot. Um, My aunt, whose property they lived on, was a Pentecostal Christian, and she went to a Pentecostal church. So one day she asked my parents if they would like to attend a potluck at her church. And um, they were broke and living in a hole. So they were like, yes, we would very much like some free food, please. That would be great. (laughs) So they went and uh, my dad uh, said that he tried to antagonize the pastor a little by uh, by introducing himself as an atheist living in sin with his girlfriend. And the pastor was basically just completely unfazed and was just like, well, it's nice to meet you. We're glad you're here. (laughs) And um, they got uh, radically saved that night, as my dad would say. So yeah, they got, they decided to get married. Um, they got super involved in this church, um, immediately got involved in, uh, street ministry, prison ministry. Um, my dad said they used to pick up hitchhikers and bring them home to share the gospel with them because it's the seventies Jesus freak movement. (laughs) And that's what they did. (laughs) That was how they got their start. And, uh, 
four years after that, they had my brother. And three years after that, they had me. What's really important to know about them is that they were probably the most sincere people I've, I've known to this day in their faith. My dad in particular, it really encompassed his entire life and everything he did and drove every decision he made. Um, so all of our, everything we did had, had to have something to do with God and God's plan for our life. And my dad at this church, um, that he got saved in, um, he was prophesied over that he would go into the ministry, that God had this great big calling on his life and, uh, that he would be known for having this uh, immense knowledge of the Bible. He'd just be known as like the Bible guy who just knew it backwards and forwards. Um, and he grabbed onto that prophecy with both hands and was like, heck yes, let's do this. I'm ready. Let's do it. Um, so that's what he threw himself into. And, um, so my growing up Christianity was just how life was. I didn't know there was another way to be. I knew eventually that there were other people not like us, but, Mm -hmm. um, I had no idea like how different we were from the rest of society because (laughs) Pentecostalism in general is like very subculture. It's really, uh, kind of insular. <laughs> it's very, um, I feel like they feel like they, um, are the real true church. Like I remember, uh, Baptists weren't considered real Christians <laughs> to us because they didn't <laughs> believe in the, in speaking in tongues and the Holy ghost. And so they were, you know, they were just doing the watered down version of Christianity. <laughs> well, we, we were the real people who like really cared and were really dedicated to it. And so kind of everybody that we knew was just super uh, passionate about it, which I thought was really cool at the time. Um, so uh, yeah, that, that's what I was born into. I got saved when I was three. I remember that Pentecostalism is very, like I said, it's very dramatic. And I feel like the way I was raised to think about Christianity was that there's this big cosmic rock opera going on, essentially. And there's a good side with God and his angels. And there's an evil side with Satan and his demons. And then there's the Christians. And then there's the the real Christians, us, in other words. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's everybody else who is on the evil side. So... As a kid who loved watching TV, uh, loved watching movies, loved the arts, loved drama, I thought it was cool. Um, I We felt like superheroes. It felt like we were in on this very important quest to save the world with God and to save it from all these people who just want to drag it to hell, literally. Um, so that's kind of where I was coming from. Church just permeated every pore, every fiber of my being and my family's. Um, so I guess, uh, well, if I just do it in order, I'll stop losing track. So we moved to Denver when I was about one year old and, um, uh, we got involved in a church there where my dad, uh, would pay, play Jesus and our church plays a lot. Uh, so we had really <laughs> long hair and a beard, Um, I walked in on him uh, rehearsing the crucifixion scene one time when I was, um, three or four years old, it was a dress rehearsal. So full on makeup, blood, everything hanging, mostly naked on a cross. And I walk in the sanctuary and started screaming at everyone to leave my dad alone. (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) So that was a good time, but, um, Yeah, they were really involved in that church. Um, We ended up moving to Iowa uh, for my dad's job that he had at the time. 
And um, that's where I think we really got started in Pentecostalism, uh, like a, the really, you know, religions on a spectrum and Christianity, I think is kind of on a spectrum. So <laughs> if you're looking at Pentecostalism as a spectrum, I'd say we started out kind of closer to the uh, less fringe end of Pentecostalism and started kind of scooching more to the more fringy end after we migrated to Iowa. Um, go bigger, go home, right? Right. <laughs> so <laughs> exactly. Um, so when we moved to Iowa, it's kind of a convoluted story, but basically we ended up getting really involved in planting churches. Um, so we, we'd end up in these churches that only had about 20 or so members in them. Um, my dad was still really into the ministry and preaching and, um, was just working his butt off to do everything he could to be able to be a pastor full time. He was working as a manager at a bookstore at a community college and just hated it, had no passion for it, dreaded going to work. He had like an hour long commute there and back every day. So just wasn't a great fit. So um, we just poured everything we had into these churches, all of our finances, all of our time, all of our energy. Um, They would meet in our house. We'd have Bible studies there. Um, One church closed actually when my family left because it was no longer financially, it couldn't support itself financially anymore after my family left, Mm. Um, both because it was so small and because we we gave so much money to it. Mm. So um, I guess around that time is when Christianity came from just being like what my family did. And I didn't really think of it. I think that was when I started to realize how we were kind of different from other people mm-hmm. and Christianity kind of became more of my own personal calling as opposed to just kind of doing what my family did. Um, Cause I thought it was cool and I wanted to be like them and I wanted them to be proud of me. Um, I remember my church we were going to at the time was having a youth rally and they showed this video of um it was like some teenagers doing a Chinese fire drill in their car, which I've never heard of anyone actually doing that. But apparently it's when you get out of your car, run around it in the middle of a street. <laughs> I, I actually have participated in one. So they you do have. have okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that's cleared up because <laughs> I feel like it's one of those things I only hear about on TV and I've never heard of anyone doing it, so. It was a very... Okay, I might as well tell this story. Um, <laughs> since since I since I know you from Nebraska, this is the most Nebraska story ever. Um, w- I was on a bus coming back from a cornfield because I was it, I was detasseling. Um, are you f- you're familiar with detasseling? No. I am. Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, I, I was going to say they don't let you out of the Midwest without at least telling you about it. They don't. Um, <laughs> basically, you, you walk you for listeners who don't know, it's walking through cornfields pulling parts off of corn plants. Anyway, um, we were all very tired, very loopy. We had been working all day and we were, we got stuck in a, a traffic jam in the middle of the highway. Um, and someone suggested a Chinese fire trail. And I don't know why this happened because there were adults in the bus, but the bus driver stood up and said, okay, everybody, we got nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> go out the door, run around the bus once in an orderly manner and come back on. And then we did. So anyway, in an orderly manner, I hope. <laughs> yes. <Okay>. yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's, it's fictional. It's, it's, you know, they're for actors, sure, for but, sure. but I was seven probably at the time. 
watching this. And I don't remember any youth being there, anyone that this outreach was designed for being there, but they played the video. I feel like to an empty room where it was just like me and maybe two other people. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, these, these teenagers do a Chinese fire drill and they die and they're up in heaven, or I guess the lobby to the afterlife waiting to be judged and figure out where they're going to go. Uh, and there's one Christian kid in the group and, um, He's, he's looking around like, oh no. And his friends are like, what's going on? And he's like, oh uh, yeah, I think we're dead. And this is judgment. And we're going to find out if we're going to go to heaven or hell. And they're like, okay, well, like I've been a great person my whole life. Like I'm going to go to heaven. It's going to be fine. And Christian kids like, no, no, it doesn't work like that. You've got to, you've got to ask Jesus into your heart. You've got to make him your Lord and savior. You've got to ask him to forgive you for your sins. And you've got to turn from, from your old life and, and, and turn to Jesus in order to go to heaven. It's not enough to be a good person. And so his friends are like, well, I didn't know that. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me about this? And Christian kids like, well, I, I thought I was embarrassed. I thought you'd make fun of me. And so he watches as his friends get dragged to hell one by one, just mean mugging him the entire time, understandably. And then uh Christian kid goes to heaven and everything's fine for him. So um, this movie just, I don't know if cussing's allowed on here, but it effed me up real bad. That's okay. <laughs> real bad. I was not the same after viewing this movie because I was horrified. I think that's when hell first became real to me. Um, and it greatly disturbed me. And I decided that nobody was going to go to hell if I could possibly do anything to prevent it. So I became a little witness for Jesus. And God, like when I think about what this must've looked like to people, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I was this little seven-year-old kid at the time. My mom and I used to go on a, you know, how like kind of old people will like walk around the mall for, for exercise. Um, we had this great friend who was an older lady and, uh, so we'd go on mall walks with her. (laughs) And while we were walking around the mall, I would just be handing out tracks to people. And some people like Jesus loves you uh, you know, Jesus died for you. <laughs> all this stuff. I, I left tr- tracks were my favorite. Like I would leave tracks everywhere, hand them out to people all over the place. And, um, and I would pray about it a lot. Um, cause, cause I was really upset about it. Not all of my relatives are Christians. And so I was really afraid they were going to ha- go to hell. Um, and I remember praying to God, like, if there's anything I can do to keep people from going to hell, like I will do it. Please just tell me what to do. Um, I remember thinking if I could manage to not sin, maybe I could sacrifice myself the way Jesus did and just offer myself, like, I'll go to hell and you can take everyone else to heaven, but like, I'll go to hell for them. Like, that's how much hell disturbed me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and I think, um, I think that's also where Christianity took a kind of a dark take for me because something I kind of realized was, um, later on spoiler warning but uh well not really because you know why i'm here but (laughs) (laughs) uh i started to realize that i believed in christianity but i resented it Mm. i didn't want it to be true Mm. um it bothered me a lot of it and um i remember reading through the bible and uh like i think the story of noah disturbed me Mm. before i knew Mm -hmm. what hell was that that one also really bothered me um I remember it really doesn't make a lot of sense as like church nursery decor. If you think about it, it really doesn't, (laughs) it really, really doesn't. (laughs) Um, so uh, yeah. Um, 
and I actually got really depressed when I was probably in second grade by now. And I just got to where I was really sad all the time and mm. kind of found it hard to find joy in things when everywhere I looked, all I could think about was that person's probably going to hell. I bet that person's going to hell. That mm. person's going to hell, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it was just kind of upsetting, but really it just kind of, uh, gave me more passion for my faith because, well, this is all about saving people from hell. So like I'm in the right spot. This is what I'm here to do. Um, so it was around that time we started getting involved in churches that were extra pen out, uh, late on the Pentecostalism really thick. Um, there was something <laughs> called the Brownsville revival going on in Florida at the time in Pensacola, Florida, mm. where, um, if you want to Wikipedia it or YouTube it, there's some <laughs> interesting, uh, stuff out there about it. But, um, basically uh, something that was really big in Pentecostal services or Pentecostal churches was the idea of revival, which was supposed to be the spiritual awakening, uh, mostly in America specifically, uh, where just all these people would turn to Jesus and, and, P and just America would become so passionate for Jesus. We'd just be a nation on fire for God and da, 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 da. And, um, so there was this quote unquote revival going on in Brownsville, Pensacola, which mostly seemed to manifest in people, um, displaying, I don't even know how to describe it. <laughs> what did they used to call it? Uh, basically people would do really weird things in the spirit. So there was laughing <laughs> in the spirit. There was <laughs> crying in the spirit. There was dancing in the spirit, um, speaking in tongues, obviously where you speak in a foreign language that you don't know. Um, and hopefully somebody interprets it. Um, and I'm using quotation marks around interprets. You can't see that, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so there was a lot of that, um, a lot of shaking I remember. And so the church I was going to at the time really tried to emulate that in particular. And I remember I was really into it at first because, um, I'd had an experience, uh, attending a black church before that. Mm -hmm. And I really liked their enthusiastic praise and worship and the dancing and the clapping and the singing. I loved all of that and the enthusiasm. And so I felt like we were hearkening to that. Um, mm -hmm. I also thought it was strange that there were black churches and white churches, but mm -hmm. I didn't mm -hmm. question that too much at the time. I remember asking people and they would just kind of be like, you change the subject. <laughs> um, <laughs> But anyway, I was really into it for a while, but the revival services that we would go to a lot um, just got really dark and heavy after a while. It's very emotionally draining. Oh, it can sure. be really upsetting, especially if you're little watching all these people crying and wailing and shaking and laughing mm -hmm. like crazy people around you. So um, anyway, that's that's kind of the basis of, of where I was at at this point in my life. Um, and, and I cared about it very deeply. I was very sincere. I was very passionate about it. Um, I, I couldn't imagine my life any other way. I remember thinking like, wow, I'm so lucky I was born into this family because like, if I was left to my own devices, I don't know if I would ever like pick up on this stuff. I don't know if I'd ever hear about it. I don't know if anybody even knows mm. who we are or what we're about. Like I'd probably be an atheist and I can't imagine being <laughs> an atheist. What must that be like? <laughs> Those poor souls must just be so lost and sad and, and they're going to hell. Um, so when I was 13, my dad finally uh, decided to really pursue ministry full time. Mm. And um, this really started a trend. Another thing I find interesting about the sect, I don't know what to call it, the wing of Pentecostalism my family mm -hmm. was in, mm -hmm. was um, 
I think something that's big in evangelism now is this thing called the prosperity doctrine, where it's basically God wants you to be rich and popular and awesome. Mm -hmm. Our church was the opposite of that. Our church Mm -hmm. basically believed in martyrdom. And Mm. if your life is going great, there's probably something wrong and you probably (laughs) need to pray about it and find out what's going on because if your life's going great, you're probably not following God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the whole, uh, it's a long story. It's probably too long to get into here in a lot of detail, but um, the whole saga of my dad getting involved in full-time ministry um, revealed a lot of uh kind of it made me start questioning this whole idea of god's plan and following it even to our own detriment because mm. like i said my my parents were always planning these churches and we were always giving them all our money um because we believed if if you give god your the money that he's blessed you with he will he will bless you back uh tenfold or, or however mm. the verse goes mm. um but we never really got those blessings back tenfold. We just kept giving and giving and giving and giving. <laughs> mm. um, and just kept being like, blessings are right around the corner. They're right around the corner. They're going to show up any minute now, any minute. <laughs> so uh, the when my dad went into ministry, he basically told his, his job that he was going to start putting out resumes. He wanted to be a pastor. Um, and uh, we put our house up for sale. At the time, we were living in this 100-year-old house that hadn't seen any renovations really since. (laughs) Wow. Um, So we didn't get any offers. Nobody even came to look at it. It was literally, my parents bought the house for $45,000 in Malvern, Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. So we went about a year of my dad's uh, job situation being very tenuous because we also didn't get any nibbles on his resumes that he was sending out either. So we didn't Mm -hmm. have anyone's... uh, looking at our house. Uh, my dad wasn't getting any interest in his resumes. Um, he kept praying about it and doing everything that God told him to do, which, um, kind of funnily involved not listening to Rush Limbaugh anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Good advice. Right. (laughs) Um, because it just made him uptight and it took away too much of his time, I guess. But, um, Yeah. yeah. So he did everything that God told him to do. And, uh, his, his boss at his job kept pressing him. Like, I need a date of when you're going to go, you know, it's been can like actually, eight months. Can I actually poke at that for a second? When you say he did yeah. everything God told him to do, what, what is, what does that mean exactly? Did just kind of a gut feeling that he had when he was praying is that, or. Oh, well, he would say that God spoke to him or he would like say he would hear he a had voice a or yeah. I guess. I'm just curious. I mean, I, I am know. too. Yeah. Cause I'm not honestly <laughs> sure. They would yeah. always say it was like a, they would always use very vague terms like, Oh, it's a pressing on my heart. It's mm-hmm. just, um, mm-hmm. I know my dad would say like, he had a thought and he'd say like, Oh, I think the Holy spirit put that thought there. Mm-hmm. So, so I would come to this conclusion. Um, but yeah, basically, um, what, what kind of started the whole thing was that he was praying to God, like, God, I've had my license to preach for a year. Um, but I'm in debt. I have this job. I can't leave. I, I don't know what to do. And God was basically like, well, you, you haven't done enough and you need to do more. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. and then things will follow through. So, um, my dad went ahead and gave his job notice that he was going to quit on October 31st, even though we hadn't had any offers on our house and uh, he hadn't had any offers for a job. <laughs> October well, 31st rolled around and we still didn't have a house and we still didn't have a job. Oh no. But uh, like two days later, um, my dad found a job and we found a house. So of course that was interpreted as um, 
maybe fairly, maybe unfairly, uh, <laughs> as God providing for us. And, oh, this is proof that if we trust God, it might look like it's not working out, but it's going to work out. Like God's got a plan and he's just, you know, he's just trying to keep us on our toes. He's just testing us. He just wants to see if we're faithful, <laughs> right? Yeah. That was the narrative pretty much from then on. So um, it was really hard to, to go into full-time ministry because when he did get a job, we ended up moving across the state from everybody that we knew into a church that was very much not what we were used to. It was, you know, we were used to these happy clappy uh, churches and this church was very somber, like they sang mm. from hymn books, which we almost never mm. did. Um, they like sat down the whole time. They didn't, clap. <laughs> they didn't raise their hands. Like, how are you even Pentecostal? Um, and, and that wasn't so bad. Like that was a shock to us at the time, but, um, but they were just very, uh, hostile to my dad. He went in there, mm. um, saying he had all these plans for the church and, uh, what God wanted to do with the city and, and they were all for it. But then when he started implementing it, they got very not for it. And, um, we're, we're just kind of cruel to him, honestly, like mm. they, they would criticize things that had nothing to do with his, his pastorness like his artwork <laughs> hmm. and his appearance things like that <laughs> so they don't like um, people who look like jesus or <laughs> i guess not well by then he'd cut his hair and uh, shave well, the beard so <laughs> that was that was his mistake then clearly I, probably <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so a year later uh, basically we were on probation for a year and uh, at the end of the year they were going to vote on whether they wanted to keep us or not and um they decided to not keep us. Mm -hmm. And um, so the whole thing really made me start questioning things. Um, I didn't understand why we had done everything that we had felt God had asked us to do. And it still hadn't worked out. And mm -hmm. um, at the time we'd spent, excuse me, all of our savings, we'd spent, mm -hmm. um, we, we had nothing. We were stuck in this city that we didn't really have anything going on in anymore <laughs> with no money. And, mm. um, to be fair, there was a church in, um, a nearby town that heard about what had happened and they invited my dad to preach for pay. And so we needed the money. So <laughs> we went down sure. there, um, and we found out that they had actually done a big, uh, drive for us for food and toiletries and, and things like that, that we needed. So we ended up driving home in a car that we could barely fit in because it was so full of all the food and everything that everybody gave wow. us, which was, which was really great. And that was really special. Um, and, and I still remember it and it's still really touching, but at the same time I was like, why was this necessary? Like, mm -hmm. what does it mm -hmm. look like when you're following God's plan? How do you know if, I don't know if it just doesn't seem like it's working out at any given point. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's kind of the, the trajectory my family took from there. My dad was just kind of going around trying to get pastor as much as he could. And in the meantime, working two or three jobs at factories and just wherever he was either overqualified or underqualified for pretty much everything <laughs> except for factory jobs, apparently. Mm. But anyway, personally, um, I think this whole time when my dad was in full-time ministry, pastoring this church that, um, voted us out was when I really started, uh, fully resenting Christianity and not mm. wanting to do it anymore but feeling like I needed to, I mean, it's true. So I don't have to like it, but I still need to do it and I still <laughs> need to do my best. So here mm. I go. <laughs> um, and I tried for a really long time 
to yeah. get into it. I went on a mission trip and just tried so hard the whole time. Like, Oh God, like I'm going to get so close to you and we're going to make such a big change for you. And all these people are going to get saved. and It's going to be amazing. And it just wasn't like the whole thing was so underwhelming. And I remember feeling like, uh, when I was at the training ground, um, it was with team mania. If anybody's familiar with that, I don't, I don't know if they exist anymore. I feel like they got in a lot of trouble a few years ago. Um, they're also kind of an interesting outfit if, if you want to look them up with, <laughs> uh, but I felt like they were very manipulative and, um, like I started feeling like the, the really emotional side of Pentecostalism was more manipulative than anything. Like I used to really be into it. Um, but I, I was starting to feel like uh, people were trying to use my own psychology against me, I guess. And mm. I started noticing things like a pastor's taking verses completely out of context. Um, I remember I went to a youth convention one time that was a, a weekend and, um, it was pretty much just like a, a plug for giving money to missions the entire time. And I, I think I heard one Bible verse the entire weekend and I was just like, <laughs> that ain't right. And I went there with 20 bucks to last me the whole weekend for food. And they're sitting here like, if you don't give all this money, you're a terrible Christian. <laughs> I was like, mm. well, I got to eat too. I'm in need, sir. So, <laughs> um, so that made me really jaded. And, um, I worked at a summer camp, a Christian camp for like three months, and had a great time and, you know, really thought basically being surrounded by nothing but chapel and Christians for an entire summer, um, was what I needed to really get the passion back and, and not resent Christianity. Cause I didn't want to, I felt terrible about it, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but just nothing worked. I remember it just felt really hollow when I prayed, it felt like nobody was listening. Mm. Um, I, I think that kind of, you know, maybe as a side note, but I feel like that kind of happened when uh, imaginative play stopped happening for me because it was around the time mm -hmm. I was 13 mm. and I used to have a really big imagination. Um, I had a little toy dog. I would talk to all the time. Like it was a real person. <laughs> um, and so, you know, Jesus wasn't a big stretch, but when all that stopped, um, the praying started to feel really weird and a lot mm. less comfortable. Um, so yeah, so this carried on through high school. And, um, I think by the time I was 16, I was just like, I, I don't know what's going on anymore, but the situation I'm in, I'm in this, uh, by then my, my family had moved to Lincoln, Nebraska, and my dad was co-pastoring a church with, um, this old friend of ours. And that church was probably the most, um, charismatic church I've gone to since the one I went to when I was 10. Um, and by then I was fully out of being into that. Uh, we'd gone to some more mellow churches over the last few years and, uh, I found that to be preferable. So being in this super charismatic church that I wasn't into was really difficult and, um, really wasn't helping me with wanting to be a Christian <laughs> or pursue that. So, um, but, but, you know, I was living at home and I was like, well, you know, 10 year, two years, I'll graduate high school. Um, I'll be on my own and, you know, I can find one and go to whatever church I want. And, um, I'll just struggle bus along until we get to that point and I'll figure it out then. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, then my senior year of high school between first and second semester, my dad and my brother were suddenly killed in a car accident by a drunk driver, which mm -hmm. just left my mom and I, and, um, our church that we were involved in ended up, uh, like they, oh gosh, I don't even know where to go with this. <laughs> 
that whole situation was really a linchpin, I think, that drove me away from uh, Christians and Christianity as a culture fully. Um, After that whole experience, um, which I'll go into a little more detail on here in a sec, but after that whole experience, um, I I didn't want to go to church again. I had absolutely no desire whatsoever (laughs) to be around church or Christians again. Um, but a lot of the reasoning for that is that, um, after my dad and my brother passed away, um, it was very devastating for a lot of people. They were, they had a lot of friends, they touched a lot of people's lives and, um, uh, you know, everyone was reeling. Um, so for a long time, I tried to not be too judgmental of the way people behaved after this, but I think Mm. actually the older I've gotten and the more I've matured, the more I've looked back and been like, that's not okay. <laughs> mm. So, um, so some of the things that happened were, I remember, um, at my dad's memorial service, the church we were going to at the time, um, really, uh, was big on not asking for money. We never passed around a plate. We never made a call to ask people for any money when they came, there was just like a box in the back with a slot and you could drop money in there if you felt so inclined. Um, my dad's memorial service was the very first time this church ever asked anybody for money. And they asked for money to build a new sanctuary onto the church. And, um, it's, it's kind of a long story, but like, uh, this was a project I knew for a fact that my dad was against, um, building onto the church, this new sanctuary in particular. So to me, like to ask my grieving family for money for a thing my dad was vehemently against at his mm. memorial service. <laughs> I was just like, okay, we're done here. I am never <laughs> going to this church again. That's wow. it. <laughs> yeah. I'm done. And yeah. I never did. Um, uh, but beyond that, it was things like um, the night that he died, I was really uh, upset um, to put it mildly. And mm-hmm. um, I wanted to stay in bed with my mom and sleep with her that night, but uh, she wanted to be by herself. So my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, um, we were sleeping on a couch together mm. and in the middle of the night, I'd barely slept anyway, but in the middle of the night, uh, this, this co-pastor of my church that we were living with, uh, came downstairs to tell me and Chad to sleep on separate couches because we were mm. hurting our witness by sleeping on the same couch. Mm. <laughs> and there was nobody in this home other than yeah, us. Yeah. <laughs> so I read the room so bizarre <laughs> so bizarre yeah. I was literally just like what <laughs> mm-hmm. and I just ignored mm-hmm. him and went back to laying there not sleeping <laughs> um and and after that that was something that came up a lot I would have adults pull me aside adults who I knew had lost their parents young and mm-hmm. I kept thinking okay like someone's gonna talk to me and help me navigate this because I don't know what's going on um my mom had really just kind of snapped when it happened and she just kind of shut off, shut down. Um, Mm. I didn't really exist at that time. Mm. Not for a while, actually, after that. (laughs) Um, So I was really clinging to Chad because he, uh, my boyfriend, because he was the person I was closest to. My dad and my brother had been the people I was closest to before that. And Mm. so uh, I think I was really freaked out and just really clinging to Chad. And I think that freaked out my relatives and the church people who um, just have sex on their minds all the time, apparently. So they I mean, who doesn't? 
<laughs> so they would pull me aside and I'd be like, okay, here we go. Some adult is going to help me with this. Cause I, I don't know what's going on. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to feel. I'm incredibly upset and lost and, and hurt. And they would just sit me down and tell me um, to make sure that I didn't let Chad take advantage of me because I was a vulnerable and traumatized young woman. And that meant he was going to try to have sex with me outside of marriage. (laughs) And that is what they were concerned about. And I was just Mm. like, what again, just like, what are you talking about? How is this even (laughs) what, why are you even thinking about that? I'm not thinking about this. Like, why are you (laughs) thinking about this? (laughs) And, uh, they really, I really felt like they all just kind of took their anger um, of the situation out on me in particular. And um, uh, there's a whole, I could go on and on and on about that whole situation. It could probably be its own novel, but um, suffice to say, it really was kind of, uh, like I said, the the linchpin that really made me not want anything to do with Christians or the church, because I was, these were people who I had really trusted and really looked up to. They were like second parents to me. They, I, I called this um, man that my dad co-pastored this church with my adopted grandfather. Like we were very mm. close. Mm. And the fact that it felt like when I needed them the most, that they, that this is how they acted where they uh, didn't talk to me about anything substantial. It was like, they, they had nothing real to offer when mm. it mattered. And mm. it just really made me think like, you know, there's that Bible verse that says um, a rotten tree doesn't bear healthy fruit and a healthy mm-hmm. tree doesn't bear rotten fruit. So you have to look at that and be like, these people are the strongest Christians I know. They're the most passionate mm-hmm. Christians I know. They have formed many of my beliefs over the years. Um, I don't know what to do with this knowledge that this is how they act in a crisis situation. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I know at the time uh, there was so much going on that I was still kind of in that place of believing that Christianity was true uh, resentfully. I didn't want it to be true. I didn't want to do it, but I also didn't want to go to hell. Uh, I wanted to be on the right (laughs) side of this cosmic rock opera that was going on. So um, I was like, you know, uh, we're just going to stick a pin in this while I figure my life out Yeah, And, uh, and we'll come back to this when I have more capacity for it. Um, and, uh, I know I tried, uh, it took a while, but I just tried to go to church again. I'd show up after it already started and I'd leave before it was over. So I wouldn't have to talk to anybody. Um, I went to a really progressive church and, um, I really liked that church in so far as their message and the people who went there, but the spiritual side of it, the supernatural side of it all just still felt really, uh, hollow and empty to me. And I just couldn't relate to it. So many people would talk about it, like it changed their lives and they had so much joy and so much peace. And I know my favorite book growing up was this book by uh, Jerry B. Jenkins, who you might remember as the co-author of the Left Behind (laughs) series. Yeah. Um, But he had this book called Though None Go With Me, which was basically like the uh, Christian version of She's Come Undone by Wally Lamb, Hmm. um, which is something, a genre I refer to as tragedy porn. (laughs) <laughs> where just every bad thing you can imagine happens to this person. Yeah. And um, I loved this book because and in this book, every horrible thing possible happens to this woman. And she just remains a very steadfast, uh, good Christian woman and never loses the faith. And um, I was like, 
I'm going to be that lady. Like, that's awesome. So I felt this pressure after all this had happened to uh, not be a weak Christian, to stay strong, to keep the faith, to not be mad at God, to not use this as a reason to leave the faith or whatever. Um, uh, but I was really just over it. And like, none of it made sense. Kind of going back yeah. to how my family was always doing what God told us to do and following his plan, even to our own demise, we were always broke. We, mm-hmm. our lives were quite chaotic, a large portion of the time, <laughs> because that's what happens when you kind of veer here and there based on hunches in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, um, and the fact that you know, it's not that I don't think my dad and my brother touched a lot of lives and made a difference in their time on earth, but not what God had said they were supposed to be here to do hadn't even remotely happened yet. My dad hadn't pastored a church that experienced immense growth. We mm. hadn't led a church through a revival. Um, my brother had a million plans. He was an incredibly talented person. Um, he was a wonderful writer. He was a wonderful artist. He was very interested in filmmaking. Um, I think if uh, YouTube had come around a few years earlier, he would have been all over it. <laughs> so, and he didn't have a chance to do almost any of it. And mm-hmm. so I was just like, what was the point of all of that? <laughs> what was the point? <laughs> it just yeah. ended, you know, I felt like my family had been on this super epic story and we were the stars and God was guiding us through our own story. And, and that was the ending just like, boom. Okay, we're done. Mm. That's it. That's the end. That's how we're going to do it. Mm. Um, and I just, I couldn't wrap my head around that. It just felt, it just didn't make sense. So mm. um, anyway, so after a couple of years, um, I think this, this progressive church in particular made me think like, I really had thought my problem was with Christians and churches. Um, but maybe, you know, here I am in this great church with all these great Christians and I'm still not feeling anything. I still feel resentful. I still feel confused. Um, I just don't know how I feel. So, uh, like growing up, uh, I hadn't really touched the logical side of Christianity very much, um, as far as like apologetics and explaining things like creationism and whatnot. Uh, I didn't really care. I just kind of took them for granted. And it was kind Mm. of enough to me that I knew or at least I thought I knew there, there were answers out there. I knew there were apologetics books out there. I knew that someone somewhere had answers to these deep <laughs> questions and people I trusted uh, thought they were pretty good answers. So I was like, okay, well, that's good enough for me. Um, but I wasn't ha- uh, satisfied with that anymore. So I decided to actually go read these apologetics books for myself and check them out for myself. And I thought maybe if my faith had a stronger foundation and a stronger base based on, you know, facts and, maybe if I answer these burning questions that have been bothering me so long about hell and this, that, and the other, uh, maybe, uh, it'll help, um, me not hate this so much. (laughs) So (laughs) I did. And, um, I remember in particular, I read the books, uh, the case for faith and the case for Christ by Lee Strobel, um, and just found them at these books had been recommended to me so highly, so highly. And I, was so surprised when I read them. Cause I was like, really, that's, that's the answer you're going to go with. Okay. Mm. Because he would just interview like one person. Uh, mm. he, he'd take these big questions. People ask about the Bible. Like, um, how can a loving God send people to hell? Is hell a, 
extreme punishment for a finite life, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. how much sin can you really commit in a lifetime? So, uh, anyway, uh, he would just interview like one person and, and they would give their take on it. And he just kind of be like, okay, well, there you go. That's the answer. And, you know, <laughs> wouldn't really, I don't know. It just wasn't great. Um, so I read a few other books. Um, I tried reading some more conservative or progressive <laughs> rather Christian books. Like I remember, uh, blue, like jazz and velvet yeah. Elvis, some books like that. And those also didn't speak to me because they seem to be written for people who already got that sort of like spiritual Zen feeling from Christianity, which I didn't mm. get. Mm. Um, I believe the logistics of it, but the emotional side was really lacking for me. Um, so finally I decided, um, to check out this documentary called Jesus camp that had just come out, uh, the year oh, before. Wow. So yeah. So this is 2007. Uh, Jesus camp was released in 2006 and I was excited to watch this because, I, I didn't think anyone knew that Pentecostals were a thing. I didn't know anyone <laughs> had even cottoned on to us yet. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, it was, I, I think I, I only knew that it was a documentary about a Pentecostal children's camp in the Midwest. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be so nostalgic. It's going to harken back to my childhood when I was passionate. And maybe, maybe I'll get that passion back. So I watched it. And that movie cracked my mind open like an egg. And mm. I, I remember the word I used at the time in my journal when I was writing about it was disturbing. I was very disturbed mm. by the movie mm. because I'd never really seen my faith from an outside point of view like that. And mm. when I saw it from the outside, it just became abundantly clear that these kids were being brainwashed for lack of a better word. Um, mm you know, they're very young. They're very impressionable. They're very sheltered. Um, they're not getting a lot of input from anyone else. And, um, and I related to a a lot and I Hmm. thought, well, I'm not, maybe I was raised like these kids, but I'm not brainwashed like these kids. Like I am, I believe because it's true, not because I've been brainwashed to believe it's true. (laughs) So I set out to prove that, (laughs) um, by, studying other religions. I was like, you know what, if my religion is true, I have nothing to lose by studying other religions and other ideas. Like it, the truth will speak for itself. It will, you know, the Bible says that, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember the verse exactly, but something about how, ah, like God has made the word clear so that no man can, uh, I can't remember how it goes. in, In Romans, I think Paul says it's, so that no man is God without is, excuse. Yeah, no man is without excuse. I forget the first half of the verse, but yeah, uh, <laughs> I know the one you're, you're talking about. Okay. Um, but yeah, but the, I was thinking of that verse and I was like, okay, so uh, I'm going to look into these. And I, and I think when I see how clearly false these other philosophies and religions are, it will just reinforce to me that mine is, is true for good reasons, not just because that's all I know. Um, hmm. And it, I don't know, that, that was all right. Um, it, it kind of opened my mind to other things. I remember reading a lot of stories of, uh, I think Hindus in particular, uh, speaking about how much their faith meant to them and how much it had changed their life and mm. how wonderful a, a part of their life it was. And I'd never really heard anyone speak that way other than Christians before. Mm. Um, so I thought that was very interesting. Um, you know, we always acted like we had a monopoly on peace and joy and happiness. <laughs> <laughs> so to hear that wasn't necessarily the case was a little jarring. Um, so I was like, okay, well, let's, 
Yeah, let's take it a step further then. Um, let's let's look into, you know what, atheism, agnosticism, so dumb. Uh, like uh, <laughs> once I read <laughs> once I read atheist arguments, uh, I will be so assured that God exists, the Bible is true, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, once again, that backfired spectacularly because <laughs> um, they were actually starting to make a lot of sense. And I should probably back up and maybe... And maybe it's been implied, but just to make sure it's uh, clear, I, I think this was mostly possible because I was very isolated at this time in my life. Um, mm. After um, my dad and brother passed away, I was very estranged from most people that I knew growing up. Um, I was estranged from my mom. I wasn't attending a church. Um, I didn't have any close friends at the time that I was seeing regularly. I was pretty much by myself a lot. My marriage was having trouble. Um so I just kind of immersed myself in this project <laughs> of trying to figure out what the truth was and how yeah. I felt about it. Um, so, so that really allowed me to, to do all this asking and, and poor Chad, he really bore the brunt of me talking his ear off about it all the time. But um, so finally I was like, okay, evolution. I've heard nothing, but how stupid evolution is my entire <laughs> life. Like it, it's, it's just the stupidest thing. So if I study evolution, for sure, I will be certain that the creation story is true. And if the creation story is true, the rest of the Bible is true. Like that's just <laughs> logic. So uh, I studied evolution and uh, I ended up finding a website that specifically countered uh, creationist arguments against um, evolution, young earth creationism mm -hmm. specifically, which is what I believed at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and it made a lot of sense. And honestly, I think, uh, cause I knew nothing about evolution before, except that it was just a lie that scientists told cause they didn't want to accept the truth of mm -hmm. God's existence. <laughs> um, and that was really kind of the nail in the coffin for me. Um, none, no other religions really spoke to me. No other form of spirituality really spoke to me. So it was kind of just Christianity or nothing for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, when I learned about evolution, like, and I, I want to say, I know there's a lot of Christians who can reconcile the two, uh, Christianity and evolution. Um, but I just couldn't, I, I didn't understand how, if Adam and Eve weren't real literal people, you know, Adam is in Jesus's genealogy. So what does that mean? If mm -hmm. he didn't really exist, <laughs> um, <laughs> he's committed original sin, which is what the entire book is about. So it all just really fell apart from there. And I hate saying that because I think the reason evolution was so reviled when I was growing up is because that is a, a, a conclusion that a lot of people come to, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but it's true. So um, at that point, I remember realizing um, that I didn't believe anymore and it had happened so fast. I almost hadn't even realized it. I was really shocked, mm. honestly, by how quickly it fell apart when I really started looking into it with an open mm. mind and an open heart. Cause I was really just like, I was so desperate. I was just so tired of thinking about it. I was so tired of trying to figure it out. It was just like a, a ball and chain on around me, dragging me down all the time. It was just really shocking to me that it fell apart so fast though. I, I was just willing to pull out that thread to see where it went, no mm -hmm. matter where it was. I just didn't care anymore. <laughs> I yeah, just wanted yeah. to know. Um, so, uh, I remember when I did stop believing, I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm an atheist. 
I'm, I'm the thing I thought I could never, ever be that I couldn't imagine <laughs> being. And here I am like, oh my God, like what is happening? And, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was also so relieved. Like I, I could have cried because I'd been resenting this thing for so long and I'd been going along with it because I was just convinced it was true and I didn't want it to be. And, and then it turned out it wasn't there you know, in my opinion, <laughs> mileage may vary, but you know, I, it turns out there is no hell for me to worry about. It turns out there is no chaotic carrot on a stick that I'm supposed to follow to the ends of the earth, completely denying myself and every worldly nicety and comfort to pursue. <laughs> um, it honestly felt like the most loving thing I'd ever done for myself was letting that go because mm. It wasn't for me. And it honestly was just making me miserable. So, um, it, yeah, it, it was a great relief and I felt really free and really happy. And I remember, uh, one of the things that drew me to evolution that I, I found it to be really beautiful, honestly. Um, cool. because like everything it's impossible to overstate, like how much Christianity was intertwined with everything, my entire reality, my whole worldview, my identity. And so, and that included creationism. I mean, I would look around and be like, oh, God made that tree. He made every single leaf. <laughs> like he knows every little vein on that leaf. And when I believed in evolution, my first reaction was like, oh, I guess things aren't as special anymore because God didn't just sit there and, you know, form it in his hand mm -hmm. out of clay. Um, but then I was thinking like that tree had to endure ultimately billions of years to still be alive today its ancestors had to make it through billions. that's insane that is so amazing <laughs> and that's actually seemed a lot more interesting and magical to me <laughs> so um but uh, stuff like that it just completely changed everything and i i felt like i had to relearn everything and it was kind of intoxicating like i mm. absorbed i read every book i hadn't been allowed to read i watched every movie <laughs> Um, I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I just felt like there were no more restrictions and I was just free to do mm. what I wanted without constantly looking behind my back, um, mm. or, or worrying about going to hell over it. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. it was tough though. Uh, I did almost end my marriage, but we mm. pulled through. Um, but that's the closest that we came. Um, and my husband now I think would probably describe himself as like an agnostic, um, but, uh, you know, it's been hard. Our relationships with our family have been strained since then. They've mostly been pretty good about it. Um, I know a lot of people have had it a lot worse than we have, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been interesting. And I know I was really angry about it for a while. Um, I had a big chip on my shoulder. I felt like, <laughs> I felt like I'd wasted my entire life, honestly, yeah, for sure. on for sure. nothing. And I, I had no other real skills or I, mm. I hadn't even prepared for college. College wasn't something my family even talked about. Cause it was just assumed we were all going to go into the ministry. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it was very literally like starting over from scratch and it was really scary, but it was also really exhilarating just kind of seeing the world through entirely new eyes and uh, figuring out who I was. And um, yeah, I think after about five years or so, the anger settled down. Um, I kind of got used to my new normal and didn't really think about it. And then Trump got elected in 2016 and just decided <laughs> to really pour some salt in that wound. 
And I got to see the culture <sighs> that I worked so hard to leave basically took over the country for four years. So that's been a good time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I guess that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> I don't know if, uh, gosh, I, I don't know if you want to talk about the Trump thing at all. <laughs> oh, we can a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I, I just, um, cause I, I don't come from that flavor of Christianity, as we've said, you know, like, I, I mean, when, I mean, when he started rising to prominence, I kind of, I, I was able to wrap my mind around, okay, so he is kind of coming from the same flavor of like revivalist Christianity, you know, the, um, you know, like the, the, the barking revival preacher, or whatever. Like I, I kind of get it, mm-hmm. but I don't know that I do get it. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm kind of in the same place and that's why uh, I haven't known what to say because yeah. um, I don't think I ever really did get it. <laughs> when I look back mm-hmm. that side of it, I could never really get on board with even uh, even when I was younger, Jerry Falwell, I really didn't like, I didn't mm-hmm. like Pat Robertson. Mm-hmm. Um, most of those kind of prominent evangelical types, I didn't like, um, my dad yeah. listened to Rush Limbaugh a lot. Um, I found him not terribly pleasant. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I haven't really known what to say about how to reach those people because I, I can't relate being into that stuff as an adult. Like, I, I feel like I can give myself a break cause I was a kid and I didn't know any different when I believed mm-hmm. in it, but still clinging to it as a grown adult with life experience and emotional maturity and the internet where you can learn <laughs> so much <laughs> libraries even help well. a book like <laughs> I don't know I'm not trying to sound condescending and, and it is hard because I do still have a lot of friends and family who are really deep into it and yeah. um, it's been really tough navigating that let me ask you this um, because you've mentioned this several times, this Pentecostal understanding of the world where every, everything is this big drama and you're at the center of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, do you, do you see that connecting to it? Like, mm-hmm. like this is every election is, is this battle between good and evil and we're all at the very precipice of destruction. I don't know. Um, I think so. I think it's, I guess people wanting purpose and wanting to feel like they're a part of something bigger and more exciting than what they've got going on. Maybe. Um, I don't know. I I personally find the world to be really interesting and cool (laughs) the way it is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't really. And life is very, I mean, I guess I, I can't speak for everyone, but, uh, I'm pretty happy that my life's been boring and uh, <laughs> pretty peaceful for the last few years because it's it's not very fun when it's not in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Those for years sure. Were, were terrible when it was just constant <laughs> drama and you don't know what's going to happen the next day. I, I would never go back to that. It's, it's not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> uh, so I will take peace and uh, banality over that any day of the week. Hey same yeah absolutely yeah 
But yeah, it is, it is all very interesting. And I think, I think a lot of it ties back to Pentecostals are also really big into conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. I mean, even going back into the mid nineties, I have reams of paper in that closet behind me from um, this Christian website called world net daily. That was huge. Mm-hmm. It might still be huge. Um, there was nothing except the kind of conspiracies you'd see <laughs> from QAnon or, or whatever. And uh, evangelicals, you know, whatever that umbrella term means, we're eating that up, have been eating that up for decades, literal decades now. And so, you know, in that regard, I I don't know why I'm so surprised. I think I thought that maybe, maybe I thought the movement was more fringe than it actually turned out to be. Um, Mm. I I think that's what most of America thought. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. They were just kind of relegated to being the butt of a joke. They're kind of like, uh, just not taken seriously at all. And I can understand why. but I think it's really important that people do take them seriously and pay attention to them. Um, they are quite, I don't want to, I don't know if power hungry is the right, right term, but they feel very entitled to power. They feel mm-hmm. very entitled to America as a country. And like I said, it's not even enough for a lot of them that you're a Christian. You have to be the right kind of Christian like you, Luke. I don't know if you would pass muster <laughs> for a lot of these people. <laughs> You said particularly you're on the Catholic end of Lutherans and Catholics aren't real Christians, Luke. I don't know if you know this. (laughs) So I'm told. But yeah, and so that's what really scares me. And kind of this attitude of the ends justifies the means that that Mm. really permeates a lot of that culture. Um, I do think it's it's it can be dangerous. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. All right. Well, we're at the hour mark. So let me ask you this real quick. Um, Aside from your new beliefs themselves, what would you say you learned from the experience of changing your mind? Um, A lot. Uh, I learned how to think. I learned how to question. I learned how to think critically about other people um, and and how they say things. I'm a lot better at discerning uh, manipulative speech than I think I was before. Mm. I'm a lot more in tune to when I'm being manipulated by somebody um, or when something is being emotionally manipulating. Um, I've noticed that a lot of uh, problematic people in my circle tend to leave me alone. Like they'll wreak havoc on everyone around me, (laughs) but (laughs) I think they know that I know that they know that I know their trouble. And I think my experience has helped me avoid that a lot. Um, and, and I still question everything to this day. Like, I think maybe to the outside, I just look like another progressive leftist, you know, young 30 something or whatever, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) still parting their hair to the side and wearing skinny jeans. But, um, yeah, I, I still, I, I, I question everything. If if I hear an idea and um, it's new to me or I haven't looked into it, I, I look for both arguments for and against it. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always trying to find out what's the opposing argument to this. And does that make more sense? Mm-hmm. And um, if I believe in something, it's because I've looked into it and I feel like it makes more sense based on my life experience and, and, and whatnot. So yeah, I think just learning in general, going forward in my life to not uh, let my identity get wrapped up so much in ideology that I'm willing to flagellate myself my entire life to 
pursue it. Mm. Or um, mm. I know that when I saw the the siege on the Capitol on January 6th, I was just like, I couldn't help but think like if, if the trajectory of my life hadn't changed, that might be me um, mm. being an overzealous, crazy person taking back my country for God. Like maybe it wouldn't be under Trump necessarily, but something to that effect. And uh, people died that day. And mm. I just keep that really shook me. And I don't ever want to be so dedicated to an ideology that I'm willing to give my life for it ever again. Um, I mm. mean, not to say that, uh, you know, if Nazism came to power, I might not, <laughs> but I wouldn't, you know, sacrifice myself to save some, some Jews or whoever's being sent away to concentration camps or whatever. But um, yeah, no, I, I never, ever, ever want to be in a position where I'm just blindly following some authority figure or, um, or like how I was saying earlier that to me, that it was enough for me for a long time that I knew uh, logical answers existed. I didn't need to know what they were. I just needed to know that people I trusted, trusted those answers. And mm-hmm. um, that's not enough for me anymore. I have to look myself mm-hmm. and I have to determine for myself. And um, and I think everyone should do that to be quite honest. Yeah, for sure. Let me ask you this, because I've, I've kind of been wondering about this and maybe you'll have an answer. Maybe you won't. Um, like I've said far too many times now, my experience of, life in Christianity has been very different from yours. You know, um, my dad, who is a pastor, got a master's in geology before he went into ministry. You know, I was um, very pushed by him and my church and others to read deeply of, you know, very serious theology and philosophy and that sort of thing. Um, So I'm just, I'm kind of wondering, like, if you had, do you think that if you had come up in like a more intellectually serious or more open flavor of Christianity that you would have ended up in a different place or? I think it's very possible. Mm. Um, it's hard to say. Um, it really is hard to say because I have, uh, I know I I was dabbling in paganism a bit a few years ago. Um, it was kind of, it's kind of, I don't want to say trendy right now because that sounds really dismissive, but it is quite popular at the moment. (laughs) Um, that stuff, I I don't know. It just doesn't do anything for me. I, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's nothing against the Christian God in particular. I, I don't get any of them. <laughs> do anything for me. So, uh, but I don't know. Uh, it's also kind of funny because uh, I loved reading growing up and I loved learning and my dad was the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is kind of interesting that we both really loved learning and taking in new information. And somehow we still ended up caught up in um, something that I feel is not super compatible with that. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm also not very good at compartmentalizing things. I kind of feel like everything's connected. It's it's really hard for me to disconnect one thing from another in my mind. And I know, I think that's what a lot of intellectual Christians do. I sound really condescending and I really don't mean to, (laughs) 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 but uh, I think that's what like people like my dad have done, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. I I think, or or doctors, even doctors, super smart when it comes to the human body. Um, I found they're not terribly smart when it comes to a lot of other things. So, you know, (laughs) I I wouldn't let a doctor change my tire probably, but (laughs) but I can change a tire, but I sure as hell can't operate on anyone's. So. <laughs> um, I don't know what I'm saying anymore, but yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I have thought about that, but I really don't know. Yeah. I'm curious if you see any significance in the fact that you're, I don't know if I want to use the word deconversion, but whatever your, your experience kind of mirrors your father. If he started out atheist ish and, became a Christian, you were raised in the church and then became a, do you see any significance in that? Or? Uh, yeah, I, I do actually, I didn't actually notice until I honestly hadn't even thought of it that way until I think last year, maybe the year before. Um, 
because I, I've always felt a weight in that the approval of my dad was always super important to me. I, I adored my family. We were all very, very close. And um, so this idea I felt and still feel like I let them down. Um, that if it turns out the cosmic rock opera is going on and I'm on the wrong side, um, <laughs> that's going to be a big bummer. <laughs> but uh, I, I also think he'd understand because he did do the same thing. And, mm. um, you know, we kind of ended up going in opposite ways, but I, I would hope he can relate to, and I would think he'd be able to relate to being forced into a box. You don't necessarily fit in at a young age, especially in a spiritual way. Um, mm-hmm. So I like to hope he would understand. <laughs> hmm. And um, yeah, I do think it's an interesting parallel though, for sure. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, I um, like to close out the show uh, with three questions um, about ontology, epistemology. How do we know truth? How do we know ourselves? Um, so first of all, what is identity? Does everyone have an identity? How do you know your identity? What do you think? Um, I think that's a great question that no one really has a great answer to. (laughs) (laughs) That's why Uh, we ask. Yeah. (laughs) One one day, one day I'm going to have the guest that has a great answer to it. (laughs) Then I can pack it up and end the show. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I, I, I read the power of now by Eckhart Tolle last year, and I don't know if you're familiar with that, but, um, Uh, well, it was, it was really powerful for me, um, because he, he didn't come up with these ideas by any stretch, but, um, he did kind of package them in a more readable way. Um, but basically he, he talks about how you're not your thoughts, that your brain just has thoughts and, um, you're there to observe them and kind of what you choose to do with those thoughts is up to you. Um, Mm -hmm. that the fact that you're able to observe your own thoughts means that there's some entity doing the observing, right? So you might call that a soul. You might call mm-hmm. that your consciousness. You mm-hmm. could call it whatever you want, but it, it's, it's kind of this interesting idea. And so I guess to me, I feel like your identity um, could possibly be considered that, that most core part of you that's just kind of watching everything going on because, you know, your thoughts are formed by brain circuitry, synapses firing. We're not always in great control over what our brain is doing or saying. Um, so I think using that as a barometer for who you are and what your identity is, isn't a great idea. Um, but I mean, there's parts of me that haven't changed. I, I, my opinions have changed wildly. My worldview has changed wildly in the last 34 years, but I still love being outside. I am still moved deeply by music. Um, I still love cold cereal. (laughs) So (laughs) those are things about me that I feel like are my core. They're just who I am and how I always shall be probably. (laughs) But, um, I, I guess that's my answer. It's, it's just, it's the you that's there and has always been there and will always be there. Um, that that's watching your brain fire stuff. <laughs> you will not get a good answer to that question for me. If that wasn't. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, that's, that to me is always the great, and I've, I've talked about this on this show so many times that maybe listeners are sick of me, sick of hearing me talk about it, but that that's kind of the great paradox of the mind is like, you know, if, if you have a purely, you know, materialistic view of the universe, um, then your brain is just chemicals and electrons moving around in a glob of fat and it's subject to the laws of 
physics. And so you really can't choose your thoughts or your actions. And so there is no such thing as free will. <laughs> I mean, oh, I'm yeah. far from the first person to say that. And I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. That's an interesting guess, discussion to me, the whole you know, free will thing. Obviously, I don't know. You're, you're the atheist in the conversation. So I, you know, I, don't, I don't know how you, I mean, I mean, are you able to, to reconcile that with a, a concept of self or? Um, yeah, because I kind of feel like, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying we're in a simulation and that there's uh, <laughs> actual evidence who I think it was Elon Musk was saying that, yeah. you know, there's evidence we live in a simulation. And I mean, uh, for, uh, here's the thing. So one of the reasons <laughs> I ultimately became an atheist and not just an agnostic or whatever was because I had to ask myself if, you know, if something is so ineffable and intangible and you're not able to interact with it in any meaningful way, what makes that different from something that just plain doesn't exist? Is there any mm -hmm. meaningful difference between the two? And to me, the answer was no. And the idea of, you know, living my life in service of something that had all the same characteristics of something that didn't exist was just indefensible. Mm -hmm. So on the same side of the coin or on the other side of the coin, if reality feels real, does it really matter if it's not? <laughs> is there any, is there really a objective reality? I don't know, but I think what I do is I just assume that we're living in a reality and behave accordingly. I'm not going to sit there and like, act like, you know, go nuts because, well, maybe it's all fake, but you know, because <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's not. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. um, it's something I think about a lot. I think it's a really interesting question. And, and just for the record, I, I don't think I can say definitively that no God or supernatural exists. I, I just don't, uh, like I said, I just think it's so unlikely that it's just not really worth, uh, I don't know, giving too much thought. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you break it down, basically all knowledge is a function of probability. So true. That's very true. I mean, <laughs> When, when you think about what 100% certainty really is, it's like, I don't know if, I don't know if I've ever known anything with a hundred percent certainty, like yeah, <laughs> you can, yeah. you can, you can. Al always question the foundation of your knowledge. Um, yeah. And I think the closest that we can do, oh, all we can do is our best. And so I think if you're able to measure something in some way, um, I think that's a good sign that it's real. If, if you can observe it in some way, I think that's a good sign that it's real. If you can interact with it somehow, I think that's a sign that it's real, not necessarily, but I, I don't think it's, it's like, oh, who knows what's real anyway? Does it really matter? Like, <laughs> um, I think it does matter. And I think it's worth trying to figure out what's real sure. and what's true and what isn't. I mean, that pretty much covers the other two questions. Should we talk about them anyway? <laughs> sure. <laughs> all right. Well, what's human nature? Are we all the same deep oh. down? Are we all different deep down? Are we all blank slates? What do you think? Mm. Boy. Um, well, I think, you know, uh, I was talking about the elegance of evolution earlier, and I think it could probably be boiled down to survival. Mm -hmm. For any real creature, their nature is to survive and mm -hmm. reproduce. So, um, I mean, that's ultimately what all goes back to, but I don't think, I think people hear that and they automatically interpret it in like a dog eat dog mm -hmm. sort of way. 
Um, but I think survival, I, I mean, I feel like humans really haven't changed a whole lot over the centuries. I think the more I learn, uh, the more I feel like everything stays the same and we just repeat the same cycles over and over. And so I think, you know, we look at humans now and what do we need to survive? Like, it's not enough to just have shelter and food and water and oxygen. We also need love and nurturing and companionship. And so mm -hmm. I think those are also part of human nature because it's, it's what we need to survive or we just don't do great. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I think there's certain things that just kind of across the world are just sort of known for being wrong, like killing people, stealing things that don't belong to you. It's just things that we just know we're not supposed to be doing. And so I think those kind of tie back to our, our human nature and our survival instincts. And um, I think there's a way to look at it really pessimistically. And I think there's a way to look at it more optimistically. So try to look at it more optimistically. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And finally, what is truth? How do you know truth? And how do you know when you found truth? Oh well, yeah, that does kind of tie back to what yeah, you're saying. I mean, I'm already talking about that. But, uh. Uh, yeah, um, it's. I think truth is objective reality, um, apart from our biases and our perceptions. Um, but again, how do you measure that? How do you know what that is? Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I think we can just do our best with the knowledge that we have, and and um, as we learn more, uh, do better, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and and apply that new knowledge. Um, but yeah, that, that's a great question. That's really all what it comes down to. I don't, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever know for sure, but, um, but I think pursuing that question is really important and I think it's worthwhile. Rissa, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're so it's welcome. been a joy and a pleasure. Um, before we go, will you tell everyone to buy my books, please? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Y'all, I beta read this book. Well, the first one, I feel you alive. Yeah, yeah. Beta read this book. It's a banger. It was a poolside read. I read it during the summer next to the pool. It's a great beach, you know, cement beach read. Um, have not read your second book yet, but I'm sure it's also a banger. Um, buy it. Tell me how it is. <laughs> and tell all your friends. You didn't have to do that. I was totally kidding, but <laughs> um, all right. Well, before we go, uh, you got anything to plug? Um, I do not. Else? All right. So. I, I'm on Instagram <laughs> and Twitch as Bad Wolf Rissa. Um, I do not post very much, so, but you're more than welcome <laughs> to send me a follow request. And if you're not a bot, I will probably add you. All right. Well, this has been Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. You can find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington or at my website, LukeTHarrington.com. And I will see you next time. For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Um, that is, of course, one of the, I would say, one of the more famous passages from the Bible. It's from the third chapter of Ecclesiastes, um, which, if you're unfamiliar, is a, is a 
book traditionally accredited to Solomon. Um, it's a meditation on life and death and what it means. Um, one of my personal favorite books in the Bible, so I'd recommend checking it out. It's only a few pages long. Um, that's been on my mind um, a bit lately since I talked to Rissa. Um, you know, we um, talked a little bit about, at the beginning of the show, we talked a little bit about whether I had ever been to a, a Pentecostal service. Um, and I, I thought a little bit about it, and I realized, technically, <laughs> I have been to two Pentecostal services. Um, no Sunday services, but one wedding and one funeral. Um, and the funeral was, of course, the funeral for her father and brother, um, the wedding was entirely unrelated, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that, that was, that's the extent of, of my experience. And, you know, I, I hope she won't mind me telling you what I remember from the funeral. Um, if you do mind and you're listening, Rissa, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, this was almost 20 years ago now, so I, I don't have extensive memories of it. But what really struck me at the funeral was that, um, you know, they opened with a hymn, and I couldn't tell you what hymn it was. Um, but, I, you know, I was kind of singing along, feeling sad. And then people around the room started, you know, standing up and raising their hands to heaven. Um, and it was just like, okay, I get it. Like even in death, we can rejoice because God is still good and God still loves us or whatever, but come on, man, read the room. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about that, um, since that day. And, you know, especially, um, since uh, finding out, you know, that Rissa had um, lost her faith, I, you know, and I'm wondering if that had been my experience of Christianity, would I still be a Christian? You know, I, I don't know. Um, and maybe I'm the only one in the room who was thinking that at the time, but it's, it's what I was thinking. Um, and I'm someone who has kind of steadily marched further and further away from quote-unquote evangelicalism, whatever that word may or may not mean, uh, as I've, you know, grown up. Um, but I think there's a real, you know, tendency in evangelicalism, Pentecostalism, the lower, <laughs> quote-unquote lower church uh, end of Christianity to confuse spontaneity with authenticity like if it was planned then it's inauthentic it's not true it's not of the spirit whatever and if it was unplanned then it is authentic if you just do it out of nowhere <laughs> then it's somehow authentic um, and I don't 
think that's true. As I've gotten older, I've really learned to appreciate the value of liturgy, of having a natural rhythm to each year, uh, you know, having a season of rejoicing, having a season of repentance, um, you know, and not because like there's something about the late winter, early spring that <laughs> makes it like, you know, we really need to repent this time. Um, I'm talking about Lent, of course, which is the season it is now. Um, there's nothing, you know, uniquely, like I haven't been uniquely sinful <laughs> over the winter or whatever to make me need to repent now, but it is, it's a reminder, um, you know, that if I haven't been thinking about repentance, maybe I should, you know, and, um, but it's also a reminder that, you know, there are times to be sad, you know, you don't have to rejoice and be enthusiastic all the time to be authentic um, or authentically worshipful or whatever. Um, it's a framework for ordering your life, you know? Um, and the authenticity is not found in the framework itself but it is hung on the framework and it is nurtured by the framework, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know if I'm making sense, so <laughs> I'm gonna cut it off there. That's it for this week. If you like the show, like what I'm doing, please take a second to uh, go on to Apple Podcasts and rate it, review it. Every rating and review gets a little more attention to the show. I appreciate it. Um, if you want to support me financially, uh, this is a listener-supported show. You can go to Ko-Fi, that's ko-fi.com slash change my mind and throw me a tip. Uh, toss a coin to your podcaster, O City of Plenty, or Valley of Plenty, however that goes. I have not actually watched that show, but the theme song is insanely catchy. Um, maybe I'll get around to it eventually. Anyway, um, if you don't want to just give me money for nothing, you can buy my book. Um, it's called Murder Bears, Moonshine, and Mayhem, Strange Stories from the Bible to Leave You Amused, Bemused, and Hopefully Informed, um, written with a general audience in mind, even though it is put out by a Christian publisher. Uh, it's for anyone who wants to learn more about the Bible, whether you're interest in the Bible is spiritual or purely academic. It is intended to be a fun read about some of the weirder stuff that you probably did not learn from your Sunday school teacher. So you can find that wherever mediocre books are sold. Um, Amazon, for instance, or Books a Million. Is that a thing? I don't know. IndieBound would have it if you want to support your local indie bookstore. So give it a look. It is, last I, last I knew it was on sale for only $6 on Amazon, which is like 60 some percent off the sticker price. So can't argue with that. Um, anyway, I want to thank Rissa for coming on the show. She's great. Thanks Rissa. It was nice catching up with you. I want to thank Jonathan Clausen for editing the show 
He is the true hero out in the trenches of podcast editing and also GameStop management. Um, you rock, Jonathan. I want to thank Raven Creek Social Club for hosting the podcast. Please take a second to check out their other featured shows, um, Faith and Other Oddities about the Bible and the commentarians about movies. It's like riff tracks, but not funny. Anyway, um, sometimes it's funny. <laughs> it's uh, It doesn't exist to be funny. Let's put it that way. Um, and finally, I want to thank you for listening to Change My Mind. I'm Luke T. Harrington, and please don't be afraid to change your mind. Your mind.